Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. As we are, are here today, we're going to continue in our culture uh, uh, talk and uh, move our conversation about the transgender debate that's uh, kind of front and center in our culture today. Um, if you were here last week, Stacy uh, Johnson did an incredible job helping us kind of understand uh, the foundation and framework that the church is coming from when they debate this issue, and then uh, kind of the standpoint that our culture and our world comes from as they talk about this issue and the realization that we're coming from two very different uh, standpoints. She did a great job of helping us understand that um, there is uh, kind of in our culture, there is this what seems right to me uh, and my inner self is how they're making their decisions. And for us as a church, it's God is our frame of reference. Um, and that is that fixed point of authority and reference in our life. But one conversation on this subject is honestly not enough. In fact, we could spend an entire uh, series on this and still not get everything uh, that we need to hit. And so what I hope today in our conversation is that we can just get a little bit more practical uh, because all of us have questions about what do we do uh, with the transgender debate in our culture? How do we respond to that? What are the implications uh, for our family? So today, what I hope we can do is first, take an honest look at where things are in our culture. I'd like for us to acknowledge what does Scripture have to say about this? And then finally, I want us to take both of those two realities and let's lay them on top of some real-life situations that you and I are faced with um, as we look at transgenderism in our day today. And I would be a fool if I didn't stop and say that uh, a lot of what you're going to hear today of this sermon is been shaped uh, by an incredible uh, pastor, James Forsyth, uh, who uh, preached a sermon on this that I listened to. It's what sent me back to say, let's do round two of this because it was so practical. So a lot of what you're going to hear today has been shaped uh, by that sermon that he did. Um, I also wanted to stop and give you guys some resources because like I said, this is a much bigger, bigger conversation than what one or two sermons can tackle. And so if you would like these resources, don't feel like you've got to write them down right now. You can pull out your phone and uh, you can text the word gender to 865-240-0353. And I promise nothing weird is going to come to your phone. What you're going to get is a link and it's going to have the following resources that I'm about to tell you so that you don't have to write them down. Again, the word gender to 865-240-0353. You'll get that link. The first book I'd recommend is by Vaughn Roberts. It's called Transgender. It's about 100 pages long. And it is an inc- I, there are a lot of resources written from a Christian perspective on this issue. Uh, this one does a very good job of uh, handling this in a respectful uh, and thoughtful way. Um, you're going to hear several quotes from it, uh, and I highly recommend you go and read that. The next is the Secular Creed. 
by Rebecca McLaughlin. She does a great job kind of diving into some of the beliefs that are in our culture today and analyzing those from a scriptural reference. Um, how should we think about those? Another resource, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, uh, is an invaluable resource and book on what it means to be human, to understand what it means to be human and to embrace the physical bodies that God has given us. And lastly, what God has to say about our bodies, how the gospel is good news for our physical selves by Sam Allberry. Uh, those are all some great resources. Again, text the word uh, gender to 865-240-0353, and it'll send all those links to you. And I encourage you, read those, research, study for yourself, um, and, and, and grow your understanding around this, uh, th th this uh, point of conversation in our culture today. But before we do anything, uh, let's stop and let's pray. God, this morning, we're going to dive into a difficult subject. A subject for most of us that we would just rather turn our eyes to and act like it doesn't exist because it's hard. It's not easy to talk about. We don't understand it at times fully. But God, you're calling us to go to the broken places in this world. And we can't go if we don't understand. And so we pray your Holy Spirit would give us understanding this morning. We pray that you would empower us with the wisdom that only you can bring through your Holy Spirit to connect with people in the transgender community, to be able to see them for who they are, for who you've made them to be, and to be bridges to the gospel, because that's what they need. That's what we need. That's what the world needs. And so we ask you to be present with us this morning and lead us to be the church that you've called us to be in the midst of a culture that is searching for truth and that is searching for answers. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you live in the same world I do, it's hard to turn your television on today without being bombarded with some kind of story about uh, transgenderism. It's in the news. It's on television shows. Uh, most media outlets, when you are, listen, I mean, just watch any night of the week, you're going to hear some kind of story promoting it. And typically, this is going to be followed by outrage on both sides of uh, the debate. There's going to be heated arguments that uh, come forward. We are arguing over how do we educate our kids about sexuality and gender? Uh, what access do transgender people have to bathrooms? Should they be allowed to participate in the military? Where should they play sports? And uh, uh, for many people, these conversations spark anger and they spark outrage. And where I want to begin today in our conversation is this, is that as believers, we cannot start our conversation in outrage and anger. In fact, if that's where we're beginning our conversation, we've already missed it. The ship has sailed and we have lost our footing to be able to engage in this conversation. Where we've got to start in this conversation is to remember that every human being, regardless of what they're struggling with, regardless of what they are dealing with, has been made in the image of God. 
And so today, you may be listening to this here in person with us. You may be listening online, and maybe you have struggled at some point, or maybe you are currently struggling with your gender personally. And here's what I want you to hear above everything else that is going to be said from this platform today. This is it. You are made in the image of God, and he deeply and fiercely loves you. Amen? Above everything else, that's what we want you to hear today. God made you in his image and he loves you. You may be walking through this issue with a family member or with a friend. And if you are, remember that they are made in the image of God and that he loves them deeply. You may have all sorts of questions. You may be frustrated by this debate. You even may be angry with people that you're debating with on this. But remember this, that even the people who think differently than we do are made in the image of God and he deeply, deeply loves them. That is where we start. We start by remembering that all of us are made in the image of God regardless of our struggles and that he loves us. And so my prayer today is that as we begin this conversation, as we discuss this, that God would fill you and God would fill me with both grace and truth, with both compassion and conviction as we study this topic together, as we engage with the world around us. And so my premise this morning as we gather together is that if we're going to thoughtfully engage in the transgender conversation, we've got to understand two important realities. And I say thoughtfully engage because there are a lot of people engaging in the debate over transgenderism and it's not thoughtful at all. It's not purposeful at all. It's not helpful at all. We want to thoughtfully engage in the conversation with a hopes to build a bridge to the gospel. And if we're going to do that, we've got to embrace, we've got to understand two realities. And the first reality is this, the confusion of the culture that we live in. What does it mean to be transgender? It is defined officially as a person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex. Now, this is a key idea in the transgender community, that there is a difference between your sex, whether you're male or female, your chromosomes, your anatomy, and your gender identity, the psychological side, how you feel about yourself. One transgender activist puts it this way, there's a gender in your brain and then a gender in your body. And for 99% of people, those things are in alignment together. But for the transgender person, they are mismatched. Now, to be clear, there's a lot of differing opinions and perspectives even within the transgender community. Some people in the transgender community feel like they were born into the wrong body, that their body does not match who they are. Some people feel that they're neither male nor female. Some people feel that they're both or even something else. Like Vinio, we talked about the other week, he feels like they're a genderless alien being, right? There's a natural response of people even in the transgender community about what to do. Some want to change their name or their pronouns. Some want to have surgery to make their physical bodies match the way they feel on the inside. And some just take no action at all. And so it can be very confusing from the outside looking in going, where do I even begin? Because it's a very, even within the transgender community, there's so many different perspectives even there. 
And then you look at how many people are actually affected by this. Despite the attention it gets, uh, the numbers are pretty small. Official studies say that anywhere from 0.0005% to 0.014% of men and 0.002 to 0.003% of women have a diagnosable gender dysphoria. That means they can clinically be diagnosed with confusion about their gender. But here's the reality. Those numbers are rising. In fact, one recent study suggests that it's almost 1.4 million Americans identify as transgender as adults. So more and more people in the world we live in believe that you can separate your sex, your physical body, from your gender identity, your sense of whether you are male or female. And what is remarkable is that to disagree with this stance, to disagree with this belief will quickly have you labeled as hateful. In fact, uh, transphobia has been defined by some activists as an intolerance of gender diversity based on the idea that there are only two sexes, male and female, which you stay in from birth. So what does it mean to be transphobic? What does it mean to be full of hate? It means that you believe there are two genders, male and female, and you stay in that from the time you're born. That is now deemed hateful. So how did, how did we end up here? How did our culture get to this place of confusion around gender identity? How is it that a, a view of sexuality and gender that has existed for thousands upon thousands of years that has seemed so natural and so right is now defined as hateful? That's an answer that's longer than we can do today. But, to help us understand this, I want to give you two statements about our culture that gives us a little bit of understanding of how we got here. First, we live in a world that has rejected any kind of divine authority. If you were here last week, Stacey Johnson helped us do uh, understand this, that there is no fixed reference point. There is no absolute uh, authority in our lives. And this owes its roots to the entitlement or the enlightenment, right? The belief that we don't really need God anymore. Why? We don't need God to tell us what is true and what is right. Why? Because we have reason within ourselves. We have intellectual knowledge and we have science and through reason and through science, we can determine truth for ourselves. We can discern what is right. And so forget about the Bible. We can discover truth within ourselves. And by the way, if you go all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, this is what got Adam and Eve in trouble. They thought they didn't need God. They didn't need to live according to his truth and to what he had told them, that they could discern truth for themselves. Second is that we've rejected, because we've rejected divine authority, we've also rejected objective truth. Objective truth uh, rejects the idea that some things are true and, and, and all, always true. Quite simply, uh, the, uh, or how did we get here? Because the enlightenment idea of de rejecting divine authority, believing that we could figure out things on our own, it didn't work. Science and reason did not lead us to prosperity and all of us getting along in peace. Instead, the best minds in the world couldn't agree. 
They couldn't decide what was right and what was true and what happened. Wars broke out. Nuclear bombs were created and dropped on people. And so this idea that reason would make humanity better, it didn't work. And so in response to enlightenment, a new idea emerged. It's called postmodernism. When I was in college, I remember sitting through classes and reading books about uh, the dawn of postmodernism and its effect on student ministry at that time. And I remember reading things like there is no absolute truth and going, this is crazy to believe this. And now, just 20 years later, we're in the midst of that reality. That is the world we now live in. Postmodernism says this, let's not fight over what is right and what is true. Look what it's done to us. Look at what it's done in the world. Look at the wars and the damage and, and the people who have been killed and hurt over fighting over what is right and what is true. Let's not argue over that any longer. Instead, here's what we're going to do. Here's what postmodernism says. What's true for Cody is true for Cody, and what's true for me is true for me, and we don't have to agree on it. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You live by your truth, and I'm going to live by my truth. And so we've rejected divine authority. We've rejected objective truth. And where does that leave us? In a world where everyone's free to believe whatever they want to, about anything they want to, including their gender. There's no God there's no objective truth. I'm free to speak my truth for myself, and you're, true, you're free to believe your truth for yourself. And the only thing that I can't do is to come to you and say, your truth is wrong. I can't disagree with you. And so postmodernism's rejection of absolute truth has significantly contributed to the confusion that we see in the world around us, a world that is without God, a world that is without truth. And my hope and prayer for us as the church is that when we look at the culture around us, when we look at the transgender community, rather than being outraged, something inside here would actually break for them. For people who were living in utter confusion, without hope, more importantly, without the knowledge of a good, good father who loves them. Imagine how hopeless it would feel to go through all you have experienced in your life, all that I have experienced in my life, without knowing that there is a good father who sits enthroned above the earth in control of all of this, who loves us deeply and has our best interest at heart. How hopeless that would feel. That's the culture around us. And so instead of outrage, I pray that we would have compassion and long-suffering and forbearance with the community and the culture around us who is living in confusion. The second reality we've got to come to grips with if we're going to thoughtfully engage in this conversation is the clarity of scripture. Yes, the world around us is an increasingly confusing place, but it is into this confusion that God speaks a very clear and a very direct word. In Genesis chapter 1, 
God begins to tell us how the world is made. He shows us how the sky was made and the land was made and the water was created and the animals and the, and the creation that we enjoy around us. And then he says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. This is where we talk about that all of us are created in the image of God. We are all image bearers. We bear the image of God in this world. In the image of God, he created them male and female. In the beginning, God created you and I with his own hands. And when he created us, he created us in one of two ways, either male or female. Jesus is going to pick up on this teaching later in Matthew chapter 19. He answers and says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? I love this. Jesus, hey, have you not read your Bible? <laughs> have you not read scripture? And by the way, I was there, me, the Father, the Holy Spirit, we were there when we created this and, and, and we created them male and female. And so scripture is clear and it is simple in its teaching of this, that when it comes to gender, that God created mankind and he created them male and female, equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in worth. And scripture is absolutely clear without any amount of confusion about this. That when he created mankind, he made them male and female. And he made you as one or the other. And you know which one you are by looking at your body. You look at your body and you know I'm either male or I am female. Adam and Eve didn't have to wander around in the garden and try to figure out what gender they were. They knew. They looked at their body and they knew they were male or they were female. And when it comes to our bodies, here's something that I hope we understand that both Scripture and the Christian faith have a really high view of the body. You are not a spirit or a soul that is somehow trapped inside this earthly body. That's been a heresy that has plagued the church for generations. The idea that there's a spirit and a soul and those things are good. And then there's these physical bodies and they're wicked and they're evil. And if we could just somehow separate ourselves from these awful earthly bodies, we'd somehow be good. That's not how we were created. Scripture tells us that we were created as embodied souls. Theologians call this the psychosomatic unity. What does that mean? It's a fancy way to say that the body and the soul go together and they are one. You cannot be human without your body. God created you that way. God created me that way. And by the way, he will resurrect us that way. And our eternity will be physical. And our great hope is not that one day we'll somehow be freed of this body. Our great hope is that one day we will live on in eternity in these physical bodies, which will be made new. And so because the Bible teaches us this, we don't believe that you can separate your body from your sense of identity. We don't believe that you can separate your sex from your gender because we think that your body is part of what makes you, you. That's why Nancy Piercy entitled her book, Love Thy Body, because in the same way that we teach people that they should love their curl or, or, or their curves the way that God made them, right? That they are to embrace the curls of their hair or the color of the skin. In the same way that we teach them they should love those things, we should also teach people to love the gender that God has created them. We should help our kids to understand, to love the bodies that God has given them. 
Von Roberts says this, each person's biological each person's biological sex determine uh, biologically determined sex is a good gift of God's creation. We should accept it and live within it. If God made you a woman, you should love being a woman. And if God made you a man, you should love being a man. It is freeing for you and I to know that our gender identity isn't something we've got to go and figure out on our own. It's something God's given you. And it's something you can celebrate. The clarity of Scripture. That God made you male or female, and either one is very good, as God says. And so in one hand, we have the confusion of the world that we live in. And on the other hand, we have the clarity that Scripture gives and brings to our lives. And it is very freeing. And so let's do this. Let's take those two realities, the confusion of the culture we live in, the clarity that Scripture teaches us on gender, and let's apply those to some of the common questions that we get when it comes to transgenderism. And let's see where we end up. The first question is, what should I do if I question my own gender? I want to stop and I want to acknowledge something that is scary for the church to acknowledge, I think, at times, and that is this, that it's fairly normal to have questions about your gender. Can we just acknowledge that? It's normal, especially for children, to wonder what does it mean to be a boy or what does it mean to be a girl, even to wonder what would it be like if God made me the other way. It's fairly normal to wonder about those things. It's okay for your kids to have questions about that. That's not a huge red flag that you should run out and hire a counselor and, and, and get them in counseling, right? It's normal to wonder about those things, especially if you do not fit the cultural stereotype of what it means to be a girly girl or a manly man. Here's what I love about Scripture. Scripture is very clear that you are either a man or a woman and you are to live that way. But the Bible is not full of rules and regulations about stereotypes over what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. And so there's this beautiful reality that Scripture is narrower and yet broader than our culture. It's narrower in that it says you are either male or you are female and you're, you're to live that way and you're to embrace that and you're to celebrate that. But it's broader in that it says you can be whatever kind of man or woman God has made you to be. And so you might be a thoughtful or artistic or creative or gentle man. Or you might be a tough, aggressive, sporty woman, and either of those are good according to God. Nancy Piercy writes this in her book, Love Thy Body, that the entire range of human personality traits are open to both sexes. And so if you don't feel like you fit into the cultural stereotypes of what it means to be a man or a woman, it it could just be that you don't fit the cultural stereotype, not that you're struggling with your gender. And here's the thing about cultural stereotypes. They change. For example, when you think of long curly hair and, and a plaid skirt, what do you think of? Anybody? I think of my favorite movie, Braveheart, right? 
masculine, feminine. It kind of depends on when you live and where you live, right? Cultures change. Go back to uh, uh, back when uh, America was formed in, in Britain. Men wore heavy makeup and long curly wigs and frilly uh, lacy shirts. Like, I mean, that's kind of feminine, right? You'd get made fun of in our world today. Cultural stereotypes of what it means to be a man or woman change. And so if you don't fit the stereotype, here's my encouragement. Don't let the fact that you don't let the fact that the transgender issue is raging all around us confuse you to think you to make you think that you might be transgender. It's much more likely that you have questions about not am I a man or a woman, but what kind of man or woman do I want to be? Sam Alberry summed up the Bible's teachings pretty clearly when he said, Our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. How you think about your sexuality, that is your identity. And so go change your body to match that. The Bible says, no, your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. Nancy Piercy in her book said in our culture, uh, when a person uh, senses a dissonance, a disconnect between body and mind, the mind always wins. In our day, the body is dismissed as irrelevant. And my question is, why should it be that way? Why should it be that when there's a, a disconnect between our mind and our body, that the mind just automatically wins, that we would seek to change our bodies to match our minds? Even just set scripture aside for a moment, right? And think about this very practically. Isn't it possible that we shouldn't base our whole sense of identity on subjective feelings that can change, but instead on the very way in which we were designed. Isn't a sure foundation for your life and for your identity something that is and will not change, not something that can and will change? And so let me encourage you to believe that freedom is not found in escaping the body that God has given you. It's found in embracing the body that God has given you. The second question that I think we should tackle is how do I talk to my kids about transgenderism? I wanna pause and I hate to burst bubbles here. There is no formula for doing this. If you're listening today and you're hoping that I'm gonna share with you 15 to 20 perfect talking points that are gonna tell you how to succinctly and perfectly talk to your kid about transgenderism, it doesn't exist because if I gave you what worked with my kid, it's probably not gonna work with your kid. That's not how discipleship works. The most important thing I can say to you is that however you choose to talk with your kids about this subject, you should talk to them. That's the most important thing. You need to have these conversations. We need to understand that the majority of our children already know far more about this issue than you and I will ever know about it. That means they're navigating these waters by themselves without a guide. And they live in a culture that is bombarding them with millions of messages pushing an agenda. That healthy sexuality means experimenting with many different identities. That a person's biological sex can be different than their self-perceived gender. And both can be different from, then, from their uh, personal gender expression. 
Our kids are already familiar with these ideas and they interact with them on a daily basis, not just in entertainment and the uh, shows that they watch and the television that they engage with, but in their classrooms and with their friends. And so let me encourage you, ask your kids, what do you know? Do you know anyone who says that they're transgender? I think you'll be surprised by their response. Here's the point. If you don't disciple your kids, somebody else will. You don't get a pass on this. Your kids are gonna be discipled by someone. And if every parent in the room could just kind of like grab real ownership over that reality that your kids are your responsibility to disciple, the church would be a more fierce presence in the midst of this confusing culture that we live in. But unfortunately in the church, the discipleship of our kids has unintentionally been relegated to electronic devices meant to entertain them instead of a loving parent. The Lord has given you your children. The Lord has given me my child. And can I just acknowledge something right alongside you right now? I don't feel equipped to disciple my daughter. I've been through seminary. I don't feel equipped to disciple my daughter. I sat on the couch last night during the Auburn football game, which was terrible, by the way, right? As my daughter asked me questions about eternity and said, I'm not sure where I am right now and I'm not sure I'm ready to make that. I, I, I don't feel equipped to even have those conversations with my daughter. But it doesn't matter. If I don't disciple her, somebody else will. And I can promise you this, I'm probably not going to like what they teach her. The Lord has given them to you even though you don't feel equipped. He's given them to me because he knows that we are the mom and the dad that they need. He's given them to you to raise them to love and to know him. And one of the best things that you can do for the discipleship of your children is to make sure they have a thriving connection with the church. But even then, you don't relegate that responsibility to the church. It's your responsibility. If you don't disciple them, social media will. TikTok will, the internet will, their friends will. And so what we need is to roll up our sleeves and we need to engage with our kids proactively to worry less about doing it perfectly and just try and do it. Here's what discipleship looks like. It's commitment plus grace plus truth over time. It's being committed to walk alongside our children with tons of grace for when they fail and mess up, constantly dripping truth into their life and doing that consistently over the long haul. This is not a one-time conversation, but a string of ongoing conversations over time. And we start by not telling our kids, but listening to our kids. Ask them what are your thoughts before you give them information? Ask them another question and then ask a third. Ask them what questions they have of you. 
When they ask you a question, don't feel like you got to give them an answer. Take time, research, answer, research the answers to those questions, meet with wise counsel, and then come back to your, can I tell you one of the most amazing things you can do for your child is to let them see that you don't have all the answers and to let them see you wrestle with it. It's okay to say to your kid, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find out the answer and we're going to discover it together. And over time, as you continue to have conversations filled with grace, continuing to drip truth into them, you'll help them form a worldview that's based on the gospel that will shape their life and lead them to faith in Jesus and help them to navigate issues like the transgender conversation we face today. There's no perfect way to talk to your kids about it. But we choose to engage and we listen and we seek wise counsel and we have a continual conversation with our kids over time. Third question, what should you say to friends or family who tell you that they're transgender? I think it probably depends on whether or not they are believers. What should you say to a friend or family member who's says that they're transgender and they don't know the Lord, honestly, it would be uh, my first task to share Jesus with them. I would wanna share the gospel with them. That's first and foremost, that would be my goal. We are not in the business of behavior modification. Our goal is not to try to create nicer sinners who are more palatable to our senses. Our goal is to not to make more pleasant uh, uh, sinners to our senses as they march their way straight into hell. We believe in a gospel of grace. We believe that Jesus, uh, that Jesus saves anyone who would choose to come to him and confess their sins and embrace him. We believe that every single one of us is a sinner and that our sin separates us from Jesus. But Jesus, the son of God, looked at us in our sin and said, I'm not leaving them there. And he left heaven and he came to earth and he lived a perfect life, qualifying him to die on the cross in our place. And in exchange for our sin, in exchange for the death that we deserve, Jesus took it on his shoulders and he gives us life. If we would just confess we're a sinner and if we'll believe that he died on the cross for us, he will forgive us of all of our sins and he will make us new in Jesus. And if you're listening today and you want that, if you would like that gift of salvation, we want to talk with you. When this service is over with, stop by our hospitality table. One of our team would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus and to accept the gift of salvation that he has. If you're listening online, you can reach out to us and, and let us know. We want to come alongside you and help you understand what that means. We believe it's not Jesus plus gender. So we stay in a relationship with our friends and we look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. And what we believe is that if they'll come to faith in Jesus, he'll deal with everything else. It's not my job to deal with transgender before they meet Jesus. I want to introduce them to Jesus, and Jesus is going to do a much better job of wrestling with them about the sins in their life than I ever will be able to. So we introduce them to Jesus. We introduce them to the gospel, and maybe down the road there will be life change for them. But we start with Jesus, and we commit for the long haul. What should you say to a family or member or friend? who is a believer and tells you they're struggling with this, I think we have to commit to have hard conversations in the context of relationships. 
The transgender community believes and promotes that we can only be authentic as we fulfill our deepest desires. But the Bible teaches us that some of our desires ought to be resisted. We are to measure our desires and feelings against the will of God. All of us, you and I, every single one of us have thoughts and desires at some point that would not be healthy if we ran out and acted on them. That's why the Bible calls us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus, not because Christianity is a suppression of our desires, but because Christianity is a fulfillment of our greatest desires which means we don't act on every single impulse and every single desire in order that we, we might find true satisfaction in Jesus. And so as we do in our own lives, and let me suggest only to the extent that we do in our own lives, it is appropriate to call our transgender brothers and sisters in the Lord to deny themselves and to follow him. Ben Roberts says in his book, those who experience gender dysphoria should resist feelings that encourage them to see themselves as anything other than the sex of their birth. And we believe that that is a challenge for them to do and greater should be our love for them. A fourth question, how do I handle the pronoun issue? Let's just be honest. How do I handle when a coworker or someone comes up to me and says, I'd I want you to refer to me as fill in the blank, right? How do you handle that? I'm not going to tell you what scripture says. I'm going to tell you what I think about this matter. Uh, and there's a lot of different opinions on it, but this is what I personally think. I think it's going to be hard to have a relationship with someone if you don't call them what they want to be called. So I'm going to take the long view. I'm thinking about down the road. I'm thinking about how Jesus would work if he were in this world. How would he respond? And so I'm happy to call you whatever you want me to call you if it means that you and I get to be in a relationship and that hopefully at some point I get to have a gospel conversation with you. I'd rather call you whatever you want me to call you and me get to talk to you about Jesus than to me say I'm not calling you whatever you want to and I never get to interact with you. I never get to have a conversation with you. How amazing would it be for a transgender person to come to faith in Jesus and watch him transform their lives because we treated them with dignity and respect even when we disagreed with them? A fifth question, how should we welcome transgender people in our home and in our church? I think with grace and with truth, with compassion and conviction. Yes, we hold tightly to the Bible and to the truth that it presents, and we do so as a community of love. One of the reasons why there is such an explosion in the LGBT community is that there are so many people who are looking for identity and community. They want to know who they are, and they want to know that they belong somewhere. And the LGBT community does a phenomenal job of giving people a sense of identity and celebrating them, making them feel welcomed and loved. And could it be that people are longing for something that they should have experienced a long time ago in the church? Do we love people better than the LGBT community? Are we that place where people are welcomed in their hopelessness and their confusion and their despair? And as we welcome them, they come face to face with the clarity of Jesus and the gospel. That's who Jesus was. 
and it's who we should be in the world we find ourselves in. The fifth question, how should we engage the larger culture around education, restrooms, military, sports, etc.? And again, I don't think we have a full time to answer every single one of these, but I think what it comes back to is compassion and conviction. We stick to what scripture says and we do so as a community of love. We speak up and we share our winsome convictions in our own spheres of influence. We're fearless about the fact that God's plan is best for us being equally ferocious about the fact that even those who disagree with us have been made in the image of God and that he loves them. So however we choose to interact on those different questions, I think Paul sums up what our response should be best in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, when he says, let all that you do be seasoned with love. Because it is love that will bring about transformation in someone's life. Jesus, we come to you. And we acknowledge that we live in a confusing and ever confusing culture. And God, we acknowledge that it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to sit across the table from someone who's struggling with their gender, with their sexuality. And to have honest conversations. Because sometimes we don't have all the answers and we don't know what to do and we don't know how to respond. Would you give us the boldness to do that? In spite of our fear, in spite of our uncertainty. And this morning, we just plead. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website or you can text the word give to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.